is a fan-off production. Welcome, everyone. This is Erie International, episode 367. I'm Andy from Germany. We forgot to figure out who should go next, so I'm just going to jump in and say I'm Dave from the UK. And I'm David from the US. What's up, guys? <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah, we didn't talk about that. And as soon as Andy said it, I was like, oh, shit, we never go in this order. Or at least when I was on, I was like, oh, no, who's next? It's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's why I just assumed we would do it the way that we we've been doing it for the past weeks and then we can have david as just a little surprise at the end (laughs) (laughs) that's me so yeah ah dear listeners david is back he is still in the u.s um and he's only back because today we're talking about the only American movie that we will talk about this month. <laughs> uh, I actually didn't know that. <laughs> That's pretty funny, though. <laughs> yeah, the penalty from 1920, because it is Silent March. And no, we will not release four two-hour-long episodes of Silence, as our dear friend and listener, Bela Sabotka, suggested. Um, <laughs> uh, as he fell for the little prank that our Dave Roberts played to our listeners with our short announcement episode yeah. apologies <laughs> i i did i did put an apology in the description of the episode for those that were looking true. Um, but i did realize after releasing it there's possibly going to be some people that don't ever bother reading the description i know i very rarely do for some podcasts and <laughs> as a result there are some very confused listeners out there uh, <laughs> I'm just did, you, did you guys have anybody uh hit you up on social media to be like hey the new episode's messed up nope <laughs> no, it was just you and Bela were it. the only ones who reached out and <laughs> well i reached out because i got it and i was at first was like these motherfuckers are still doing the same the same punny jokes uh <laughs> but then two seconds after that i was like nah, this one's pretty good i, I gotta give them i gotta give them this one the trick is to make it to make the episode just long enough that it's not funny and then funny. <laughs> yeah. And I thought five minutes was no, a, you, a good solid time. Yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> you nailed it. Yeah. Sorry to tell you, David, but it's only gotten worse in your absence. Um, yeah. yeah. We're terrible. <laughs> We're absolutely awful. That's, We've that's run this totally shit show into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm excited to be back. Um, I've, I've gone back and forth, and you guys know this, obviously, I talked off air, but. Still, still very depressed. So a lot of life right now is just trying to figure out, okay, what can I, what can I handle? What can I take on? What can I, I do that will be good for me, but also won't be too much. Um, and just trying to kind of find those, those areas. And yeah, you guys had mentioned the silent thing and I was like, oh man, I loved, um, cabinet of Dr. Caligari when we did that however many years ago. Um, so I said tentatively I'm in. But let's see and how I feel, whatever. 
Um, and I've been excited all week. So it, you know, I don't want to make any like major promises, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Like I've basically just been waiting for myself to be ready to come back on the podcast. It's, it's not been because I don't want to, or because of any other reason other than I didn't want to come back on and then be like, you know, Hey, that's it. I'm out. <laughs> and I'm, this is too much. Um, but I'm super excited for this month. I bought all the movies. I've got them all. Uh, well, except for the penalty, um, which, as I'm sure you'll mention later, you can literally go to Wikipedia and just watch it on the page because it's embedded. <laughs> yes, that is um, That's absolutely <laughs> so it was, insane. It was pretty easy to get that one. Um, but yeah, I'm pumped. I'm excited. I, uh, I've got a lot of thoughts on the penalty, too. So looking forward to it. So David thought to himself, I don't know if I can handle all this stuff, but this month, I don't have to handle sound, so might don't be to easier to yeah. easing yourself <laughs> get back into this thing, <laughs> easing yourself back in sense by sense. Yeah, I, I I appreciate that approach. If we if next month we can do all audio horror and I can get the other side of it, and then I mean, month after, do you know that, what? I'm actually not against more, that. I'm we've really done bad. more audio horror over the years than we've done silent movies. So. I'm I'm totally I'm totally for this. Actually, do you know what we should have done? We should have done the silent movie and paired it with an audio uh, thing <laughs> oh yeah that's a good idea the soundtrack yeah, yeah i want to talk about that too because the version uh that i watched yeah. had a pretty intense soundtrack that I'm, <laughs> i i i think i found out was from the 80s we can get into it but it yeah we'll, of course we will get into all yeah. of that because i mean we're doing a whole month of silent movies and there's of course some context that we may need to provide for these movies and for the era and everything and but for now uh, let's do our little bit of housekeeping. We are Eerie International. You can find us on Twitter at EerieINT. We are Eerie International on Instagram and Facebook. And our email address is EerieInternational um, at gmail.com. We don't have any messages this week except for the one from Bela that we already mentioned regarding our Silent March announcement. But nothing more substantial than that. Oh, there's one thing that I'd like to mention uh, that um, came to mind Late last night, I got a message from a friend, Kati, actually. Um, Dave, oh, you've met yes. Kati? Yes. Um, her boyfriend works at a record store, and Kati texted me yesterday that another employee at that record store uh, is an Erie International listener. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I have no idea Whoa. how that came about. I have no idea how that came about, if they told him about the show or if he found it by himself. And so I, I don't know the full story yet, uh, but it seems to be um, Dan is a fan. So, hey, Dan. I mean, it's uh, clear, clear, <laughs> clearly he, he was brought to us through the power of Das Alice. I, I think clearly. Dan is a fan. Yeah. <laughs> I hope he writes in so we can. You already are Dan the fan if you ever call in. You've got a, you've got a title and a nickname ready I, to go. Do you know, I, I, I was like an um, indie wrestler. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I was on uh, Twitter the other day, and uh, somebody that I follow um, is um, Gunner Blog, who uh, is somebody that appears on a lot of podcasts and a lot of media um, and reports on on Arsenal. And uh, he tweeted the other day about how it's always weird when he's walking along the road and somebody drives past, opens their window, and shouts at him, "I'm listening to you right now." Uh, and I'm just waiting for the day where that happens. I don't think it'll ever happen, but we're getting closer. Uh, don't we're getting? It, it's closer. happened to me before with hideous energy. Don't. I mean, it'll happen. Just wait for it. <laughs> it, it. There was a guy I was friends with. I had a couple classes with him at Ball State, mm. uh, named Ryan. Super nice guy. And 
Um, so we knew each other before that, but I never told him about the podcast. And uh, twice I ran into him um, just like walking by in classes. And he was like, hey, man, I'm listening to you right now. Just like kept walking. Um, and it was very strange. <laughs> yeah, it was very, very weird. And for anyone around, I'm sure they were like either thinking, is this guy a musician or something? Or mm. is this some kind of cult <laughs> that's yeah. on campus? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're all walking around listening to this guy. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the things that we want to talk about that are not um, from our main topic. I can start us off with um, a podcast that I listened to. I listened to an episode of Mick Garris's Postmortem. And this episode made me realize, even before they even mentioned it on the show, that Mick Garris and <laughs> Mark Gatiss almost have the same name. Oh, uh, yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> I never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. But when I, yeah. when I saw the episode, I thought, oh, these, these weirds are, well, their names are, are weirdly... Um, weirdly transposed. Weirdly similar. Yeah. And, and then during the episode, Mark Gatiss even mentions that, that they <laughs> almost have the same name. Another thing that I'd like to mention at this point, uh, just because Tom Sizemore passed away, so rest in peace, Tom Sizemore, but I talked yeah. to Bianca yesterday, and, and, and I don't know, I talked about... Tom, Tom Sizemore in the 90s and that he was one of my favorite like uh, supporting actors in, 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 in B-movies and action movies and stuff yeah. and, and that made me think of Michael Madsen as well and I compared him to Michael Madsen and how they both didn't really have the greatest career and the greatest lifestyle after the 90s <laughs> and I talked about Michael Madsen yeah. and, and, and Bianca looked at me and what, what, what's wrong with Michael Madsen's career after the 90s and then at some point she realized oh no She heard the name Michael Madsen. She thought of Kill Bill, but the person that she had in her mind was Mads Mikkelsen, <laughs> <laughs> who, who basically has the inverse name of Michael Madsen. Yeah. <laughs> he is like the art house Michael Madsen. <laughs> Holy shit! What what a weird alternate universe we would live in, like Last Action Hero, where all of the Michael Madsen movies actually starred Mads Mikkelsen. What a, That's actually yeah, what or... I said to her. We, so, someone should make a like a, a, a recut of all the <laughs> Quentin Tarantino movies and and exchange Michael Madsen with Mads Mikkelsen. She deserves her revenge. It would, uh, <laughs> it would, yeah, it would mostly work. Uh, I think like he like he could he would kill it in Reservoir Dogs. I want to see the opposite. I want to see Michael Madsen be the villain. And, uh, I want, a Bond a Bond film. I want him to yeah. see Blofeld. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to see him take the Mads Mikkelsen roles. <laughs> I, I think we've been sadly lacking American bad guys in Bond movies. Like we had one of them. I think it was one of the later Roger Moore movies where there was a guy who was like obsessed with war and he had like a little battlefield and he would use it as a weapon. Yafid Kodo was a villain once. Yeah. Yep. Um, um, what about Christopher Walken? Oh, are you God. talking? Are you talking actors or characters? Um, both. But you know the weird thing about uh, Christopher Walken is that I never really consider him American because his accent is so weird that I can never place him. Uh, yeah, he's, he's just walking. He's, he's just a citizen unknown. of the world, you know. Yeah, yeah. he is. He can't, he come. He lived down just down the street from mankind and the Undertaker uh, <laughs> in, in parts unknown, Ohio. Oh ho! I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm glad you brought that up to Andy because, uh, yeah, that was. I don't know Tom Sizemore. Um, if you know anything about him, seemed like a pretty, pretty bad, like tragic, um, sort of hardcore, rough lifestyle. Mm. Um, like his probably really his entire career, more or less. It's kind of seemed like um, I was reading a lot of anecdotes about him from from people that were posting things. And 
it's one of those tough things because he, I'm, I'm sure he did. There's a lot of stuff that's proven that he maybe wasn't the best person in a lot of ways. Um, so it's one of those things where you don't necessarily want to honor and remember that stuff. Mm-hmm. But from an acting perspective, just looking at his at his craft. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I He is I think one of maybe his I don't want to say underrated because people know about it, but I should say one of my favorite um, Tom Sizemore roles is in Saving Private Ryan. He plays uh, Sergeant Horvath, who's kind of been um, there with Tom Hanks's character yeah. for years. You can tell they have a, a connection and he's just so good at he's in some ways he's almost the comic relief, which is, you know, very minimal in a movie about World War II. But um, he's he always brought a level of of authenticity and sort of I was able to ground movies a lot of the times, whether as a villain or as a hero. And the the one that I'm going to watch um, here next probably is I've still never seen The Relic. And that's one that uh, a lot of horror people, horror mm. people, horror people <laughs> have kind of um picked up and repurposed in the modern age. But I remember when it came out as a kid, I never watched it, but I read all of those books. Um, And then eventually it became one of those things where I was like, well, I can't watch the movie because I like these books. Um, But now, yeah, time size more in a pretty much leading role, I guess, secondary role, uh, which is, was not as common, but so yeah, if anybody wants to watch a time size more horror, there's a, I mean, I don't want to say it's a recommendation, but there's one he was in. I haven't seen it. Maybe it's (laughs) awful. Bianca likes it a lot. We own it. She, we watched it maybe a couple of years ago, and uh, yeah, it was the first thing she she pulled the D, the Blu-ray from the shelf, um, and we didn't find the time to watch it yet. But it is on the pile to watch. Yeah, and, I want to see it. Um, yeah, in 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 memory of uh, Tom Sizemore. For me, it's always true romance. That's oh yeah, I saw a lot of another movie I've still never seen that's on the list is Heat. And I've, I saw a lot of people mentioning it yeah. in the Heat. So that's another one I'm excited to see. I've been wanting to rewatch Heat for many, many years. And just the other day, I found the the new novel, Heat 2, in like a yeah. bargain bin. <laughs> oh, wow. So I, I bought the novel, uh, which means I should finally take the time to finally rewatch um, Heat. I Shocking. To me, this is shocking. I think only because this usually doesn't happen when... Um, a writer jumps to another medium. I don't know if this is Michael Mann's first time writing a novel. I, I'm assuming it is. He he has a co-writer so. on it. Um, but I have heard nothing but fantastic things about that book. Not That's even true. just like, hey, it's pretty good. I've heard people be like, this is an amazing, amazing novel. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a big for fan of Don Winslow as a writer, and Don Winslow was a huge fan of that novel, and I think that oh, cool. a lot. Yeah, for sure. Right, tangents, wonderful. Uh, I listened to Mark Gatiss on Mick Garris, <laughs> and it was a good episode. <laughs> we still got it. Yeah, quite, quite, sorry. Quite. I, uh, I'm back not helping that that side of <laughs> You, you of act like anyone wants help in avoiding tangents. That, that's what we live for. Come on. <laughs> no, as I so, Mark, Mark Gatiss, obviously a, a big horror fan. He's done several documentaries on horror in the uk um he is an actor a writer and producer and everything we've um done several episodes on things that he did some of the audio plays that he did for the bbc we did the the dracula miniseries that he did with stephen moffat um so um yeah fantastic episode that's basically it. The other thing that I want to mention, uh, Eurovision is on the horizon. <laughs> Just yesterday or the day before, Germany decided who to send 
to Eurovision this time. It's a band called, called Lord of the Lost. I don't know them. Uh, I did not listen to the whole song because it was bad. <laughs> we we are trying to be Finland this year. We're sending a somewhat gothy rock band that with a guy who can't really sing. <laughs> so, uh, Lord Hang of the on. Lost. Let's Hang. see how that turns out. Wait, didn't didn't Finland send like the Rasmus or someone the other year? Was that not a thing? Yeah, just last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot how bad their. The Rasmus have was. a better singer than Lord of the Lost. Oh dear. Oh, that's not going to go well. Then again, it's Eurovision. Maybe you'll win it. Listening, listening to you guys talk about Eurovision is, so. is always like those episodes of Rick and Morty where they have a TV into another dimension, and it's just all these, all these cultures and bands and movies that don't exist. Gee, <laughs> like all these bands. Listening to you talk about Rick and Morty is the same to me. <laughs> yeah, I've seen oh, one episode. <laughs> well, also with Rick and Morty, you don't have a, or with Eurovision, you don't have. A dark cloud hanging over its legacy now. <laughs> well, like Rick and no does. Justin Roiland Justin for Eurovision. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yet. Yet. I'm sure they've had their um, controversies in the past. Controversies? Sure. Do you say con controversy or controversy? How do you Either pronounce rule. that word? All I right. think I think in the UK you guys say... I don't even know how to say it the wrong way, which is what I call the UK way. It's controversy in America, most people say. But I, I have heard it, uh, yeah, the other way before overseas. So probably mm. both. I, we we honestly, it, it can be either. It really can. Um, I think it's a difference. You know what? I take it back. Eminem. <laughs> yeah, Eminem did say it controversy one time. So I can't totally claim that we say it right <laughs> in America. <laughs> I think it's one of those Anyway, words Dave, you have like Eurovision away. news as well. I do, I do. And I did mention to uh, David that I had uh, used my influence to make sure that it was something that he could relate to. Um, one of the hosts for Eurovision this year will be Hannah Waddingham, who is Ooh. one of the lead actors in Ted Lasso, which is a show that we all like very much. Um, but I know that it's something that uh, David enjoyed greatly on Apple TV a little very while much. ago. And I think season three is due out very soon. Um, I really very need to soon. finish watching season one and, and get all of season two down my neck at some point. But yeah, Hannah Waddingham is going to be um, stepping out and uh, doing uh, hosting duties uh, along with... Uh, a few other uh, well-known UK celebs. It looks as though it's going to be a UK presentation team, but the actual event itself is going to focus a lot on Ukrainian culture. So I guess that's the trade-off of uh, holding it in, in the UK. Um, and I'm fine with that. I'm absolutely fine with that, especially because Hannah Wadding Waddingham gets to, uh, to, to try stuff. Uh, maybe she'll do a musical number. Of course she'll do a musical number. That's how these <laughs> things there... work. I've probably asked you guys this before. Is there a way... Um... Like if I use a VPN, do they stream it online, or is it? Only... Oh, you can watch it on YouTube. I'm pretty sure in the in the US. Oh, okay. I okay, think cool. I remember. Maybe I'll watch it along with you guys this year. Brilliant. I I remember previous years. Correct me if I'm wrong, Andy, but I'm fairly certain that there was um, a YouTube stream for American viewers. They might have a TV deal for Eurovision since then. I'm not sure, but okay, uh, I'll, I'll look go. into it for you. Um, at the very worst, you could use a VPN and. Uh, and, and sign into BBC iPlayer 
okay. I, I may have a yeah. password you can use for that. Uh, I hope no one from the TV licensing commission is listening. Uh, <laughs> the BBC cops are going to knock on your door. Yeah, Hannah Waddingham's I mean, great. We established I, that you have a great relationship with the Eurovision people, Dave. So they love me. I'm sure yeah. they're not coming. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure that we could set up a, a, like a closed circuit feed uh, directly to your door. Thank David. you. Don't yeah, worry just <laughs> one one very expensive beam to Indiana. From. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. I uh, she's great on. I don't really. I don't know her outside of Ted Lasso at all. I, I know she was on Game of Thrones apparently, which I didn't watch far enough to see her show up. I don't oh, think. Oh, I missed her, on um, that. or I didn't realize who she was at the time. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think I don't think it was like a blink and you miss her thing, but I think it was probably a few episodes type deal. Like mm. it wasn't a, a major character, but she's over the past years. I've seen so many movies where I saw someone. That was new to me where afterwards I realized, oh, yeah, they've been on Game of Thrones and I just didn't watch that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pedro Pascal. <laughs> That's a yeah. big one right now, too. Cool. Is that Dave, it you, do Dave? you have more? Uh, no. Uh, me and Granddad have spent all week watching 1999 era WCW. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. It's been a good time, but it's also highlighted to me just how bad WCW got and how quickly it happened. Um Although, good news for WCW aficionados, uh, we also watched a couple of episodes of AEW, uh, one episode of Dynamite and one episode of Rampage from a few weeks ago, and my granddad made the statement that he prefers WCW, so um, there you go. Now, here's the thing. So far, I was a big fan of your granddad. Well, look, here's the thing, and I I think this will probably help to um, soothe uh, that that saltiness there. or just add some vinegar to it. Who knows? Uh, that's a reference to salt and vinegar crisps. I don't know how many people actually get that. So anyway, um, Tony Khan is like very, very well known for being a, a massive WCW fan back in the day. And uh, AEW is very much patterned after WCW in all of the good ways. So I don't think necessarily that he would mind terribly hearing the news that uh, one 95-year-old Scott living in the UK um prefers WCW over uh, AEW. I think it's just because he's seen more of it and he's aware of who Hulk Hogan is. So, Dude, uh, this is not related, but you just said it, so it's a minor tangent. Yeah. I, I'm sure I knew this. There's no way you haven't told us this, but I, I don't know how I forgot that your grandpa... You say your grandpa's 95? Yeah, yeah, 96 Dude, he looks in a couple of months. Easily a decade younger than that. I thought he was like <laughs> in his 70s, 80s when I've seen pictures of him. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's he's aged very well. I was picking up a prescription for him the other day, and they said, uh, you're not picking this up for you, are you? And I said, no, no, I, 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 you know, if I was, I would look really good for 95. Uh, (laughs) Unfortunately, I look terrible for my actual age, but for 95, I look really good. Um, But yeah, no, he he does look really good for for 95 as well. I think there's a lot of people that are surprised to hear that. Yeah. Um. Uh, I have one more question. You mentioned the two versions of AEW. Is that their? I forget what you said. Now it's like Ragnarok and backhand or something. Is that their? <laughs> is that their Raw SmackDown essentially? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So you've, you've got the uh, Dynamite, which is their um, A show, and then uh, Rampage is their B show. Uh, it, it's really unfair to call it a B show, but it is the show that came after um, they established themselves with Dynamite. Cool. Still need to get on the AEW train. Yeah. Well, um, Andy is actually your expert tonight. for AEW. There we go. You see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's um, Revolution Sunday. 
Booyah. So, yeah, okay. Well, I have more questions, but I'll ask them off here because <laughs> I, 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 I do want to know a little bit more about it. Uh, so is that it for you, Dave? Uh, yeah, I've been unsurprisingly quite um, quite light on the old horror this week, I'm afraid. No worries. Um, yeah, pretty light for me, too. I, I don't mean this week. I mean the past um, maybe year. <laughs> it's still been pretty uh, slow going on. I, I've, I've watched some things here and there. Um, I watched the new VHS or the newest VHS, VHS 99, I think it was. Um, I liked it. I think I thought all of them were were pretty solid. Um, it was the weird. Usually VHS movies for me are like there's a couple decent ones. And then there's like one really good one and one really bad one. And this one was like they were all pretty good. Like I I don't know if that's better or worse because um, none of them were bad, but none of them like blew my mind. So, mm. but it was a fun fun little anthology. Um, honestly, the the only thing I've really gotten pretty into lately and i mentioned before with depression it's just so weird how it hits sometimes you're like i haven't read comics or books in a long time just a couple weeks ago i finally had like a little mini breakthrough and got into a book a sci-fi book and i've been reading that um but sometimes it's just hard to find interest in a lot of the stuff the one thing that has managed to pull me in maybe unsurprisingly is the last of us um and i don't know if you guys is that available for you guys yet it is. I've just not been watching it because I mean we know what I think about the the game. Um, well, sure. Yeah. Well, your your thing with the game was the mostly the gameplay, right? Yeah. Fun, funnily enough, I really liked the the story, but the problem was that the gameplay uh, put me off really experiencing very much of the game. So um, most of the show my was perfect of... for you, my friend. Oh well, <laughs> no there gameplay. we go. I don't have to all play story. it at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really I'm really liking it. It's uh, everybody is, it seems like, so I, I don't necessarily have to get all into it, but, um, it's, I, I had watched Chernobyl finally, um, last year sometime and really loved it unsurprisingly. And it's a great show. And Craig Mazin, having been on that, being a co-creator now with Neil Druckmann, um, has been really awesome. They, they like they do with, I think most of their podcast or most of their shows, they have an official podcast and, uh, every week, th- those episodes are fantastic. It's it's Druckmann and Mason talking to uh, Troy Baker, who played Joel in the uh, the video game, um, mm. and they get into it's it's pretty much always writing and character stuff. They obviously touch on acting and everything else that happened with the show, but um, a lot of the podcast is just figuring out okay why did they change this from the video game or why didn't they change this or what about this brand new character or this completely new story arc that wasn't in the game, um, and so it's. Obviously, the, the the Druckmann is the writer, you know, the co-creator of the game. He's there. He's been there since the beginning with the franchise. Um, and then now he's writing and, and directing stuff for TV. So the whole thing has been pretty interesting and cool to watch. I, I like their creative process a lot. Um, so it's been easy to kind of sink into that. And then obviously, I've been a fan of the game forever. So I I replayed the, uh, that's probably the seventh or eighth time I've played it. I uh, played the remake this time, The Last of Us Part 1. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to kind of get it even more fresh in my head for the show. Um, and I've been watching it each week and really been into it. If you want something, I don't know, this is probably not probably, this is definitely me being an asshole and saying this, but it's like good walking dead. So if you, if you are a walking dead fan, uh, and were frustrated with the show, which I think even the most hardcore fans, even I did um, at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a period where I was a fan of that show, so I'm not totally shitting on it, but everybody had their moment where they either dropped out or got frustrated or, or whatever else. The last of us is kind of the antithesis of that. It's 
very tight, very compact storytelling, very emotionally charged, very um, well acted and, and looks great. Very expensive show too. Um, and yeah, the tonight's episode uh, is the penultimate one, I believe. So got a I couple might, more of that. I may very well just wait until they're all done and then just watch the first one and hopefully like it and binge the rest. Very, yeah, very, it'll be very bingeable. Mm. Um, the, uh, you know, first two episodes have, you know, kind of the setup until they get to their journey. And then episode three, I'm sure you guys have heard about the one with Nick Offerman. Um, and it's mm. pretty much just a short film. It's there's, there's elements in the episode that connect back to the main storyline, but for the most part, it's just the story about Frank and Bill, um, from the game. And they, they changed a lot from the game and added to it. And it's a great example of the show elevating it reminds me in some ways if we've talked about or i've talked about in the past the boys on the show which is a superhero um, show not a horror show but that's another one where i look at it and it's okay they they elevated the source material they took what was good about the source material and made it even better and threw out stuff that didn't work um and uh that was the case with episode three they they told this pretty beautiful love story um and uh it's not in the game at all so it was very cool so yeah i think i think you guys will like it pedro pascal's great um bella ramsey i was i love bella ramsey i i do too i i wasn't i don't want to say i was worried the their look is different than ellie and mm-hmm. that was tough for me because it's a, it's such a mo-capped you know kind of very character designed game mm-hmm. um but my suspicion was once the show actually premiered and i got to see you know bella ramsey as ellie um that would fade because of the talent on display uh and that's exactly what happened i mean the mm. bella is ellie uh, on that show you know there's no um no contesting that and and they do a lot of really interesting stuff with the character because you get flashbacks and you you also kind of know if you've played the games there's last of us part two that's a huge piece of the story mm. um so you kind of know if you're a fan of the games where things might be headed um and they make they have little easter eggs and references to that sometimes which is kind of neat um so as, yeah i'm i've been into it so uh, i've got a question as somebody that has actually played the game a fair number of times you should have a pretty good idea of the pacing of the show and whether or not it's going to complete the story of the first game in this run of nine episodes mm-hmm. um are they or does it look as though they're going to be coming back for at least another season to do, tell that story of the first game how how far did you make it in the game Oh, I didn't make it very far at all. I made it into okay, okay. literally like, you know that there's like a half underwater, is it like a subway station or something with yeah. a bunch of clickers? Yeah, we can't swim. And you yeah, to, yeah. I, I got that far. So not very far at all. <laughs> no, that's fine. I just, I didn't know to give you a better, it, I, I am pretty sure it's, they're going to get all of it in this season. The, the oh, episode cool. tonight, um, there's a section in the game where Ellie meets this character named David, mm. um, who in the game is played by Nolan North and a, uh, very famous video game voice actor who does a performance in it that is very creepy and very unlike his normal performances. It's really mm-hmm. good. Um, uh, one of his henchmen, whatever, in the adaptation on tonight's episode, it's going to be played by Troy Baker, too, which is kind of cool. Um, but anyway, uh, that episode is tonight, and that part is right before the ending of the game. Right. So they, they could change it. Um, you know, I, I don't know. They could alter stuff because they aren't afraid of doing that if they need to, if it's going to make for a better story. Um, but literally the segment of the game that's tonight's episode, once it ends, there's like a 
probably two or three week time jump to the next season. Mm-hmm. Um, cause the game's divided into the four seasons of the year on their journey. And that last season spring, uh, is when you get to where they're going. So nice. very possible. They said they're going to adapt part two. I don't know. I'm curious to see what, if they will just jump into that. Cause there's a like five or six year jump between the first and the second games, mm-hmm. um, which uh, they could probably get away with pretty easily. But, um, yeah, I, I could see that. I wouldn't be surprised if season two, they were like, all right, we're going to do game two, but we're going to, you know, maybe fill in some of those gaps in between, or I don't yeah. know. I could see them doing that. I, I like the idea of that because, again, drawing parallels to The Walking Dead, I, I feel like one of the mistakes that The Walking Dead made was that it took certain parts of the book and it really stretched them out further than they yeah. needed to go. And yeah. I would much rather have a really strong nine episode season that tells a complete story than for them to stretch it out to two or three seasons and just lose their way at some point, you know, like nine Tonight, episode... tonight's episode would be a perfect example of what you're describing on the walking dead because uh-huh. the, I'll say this as just a very mild, uh, mild, mild, uh, spoiler, right. David and his group have some cannibalistic tendencies. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, that would be a season-long villain on The Walking Dead. Yeah. Uh, I imagine he's going to show up and never be seen again tonight, though, on, on The Last of Us. <laughs> That's Different fun. approach. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably but yeah, I, I, yeah, it's definitely worth a watch. Uh, it, it, everything connects, too, so the comics are... Um, and I don't, need, I don't mean in a way where you have to watch uh, or play or read all the stuff to get it. Not at all. Um, but just their approach to storytelling I've always really liked. No matter what you mm. pick up, you're going to get something interesting and um descriptive about the characters that you didn't know before um but it doesn't necessarily oh that's another thing one episode this season it was an adaptation of the dlc that they did for the first game uh left behind which is a oh sweet very well-loved kind of respected dlc that came out and they made it into its own episode which was very cool Hmm. um yeah, I think that's it for me. I'm looking back at my... Well, I've got something. I, I, I know there's something um, that was announced a few days ago, and uh, I'm going to phrase this in... I'm not going to ask a question. I'm going to just I say a sentence. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> and I'm, it's going to be in a way that we're going to laugh at, and hopefully some of the listeners may get. I know there's one or two that listen. Um, this Hellboy is Jack Kessie. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> what do you think of that casting? <laughs> I don't know that guy at all. Uh, no. So I really, I really don't have any opinion of him. Um, I, I don't know why they're making this movie. I have no idea. It doesn't make any sense to me. They just made that David Harbour one. They're trying to throw Mignola's name in the mix a lot with this one and be like, well, this time we're going to get it because Mignola's involved and he's co-writing the script. Mm. Motherfucker was involved in the other movies too. So <laughs> yeah, I, but how easy I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know how... And the fact that it's directed by half of Neville Dean Taylor, um, two filmmakers whose work I kind of have enjoyed, but I mean, they made the crank movies. Like they have a very specific style. And um, one of those dudes on a Hellboy movie (laughs) doesn't sound like my cup of tea, but. Honestly, when you said Neville Dean Taylor, I thought you were talking about one person with like a double barreled name. And I was like, which half? The top or the bottom? It's two people with a a slashed name. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, they've got a backslash. Gotcha. (laughs) Yeah, I was just like, how can half a person direct a movie? Very peculiar. (laughs) I will will say this, though. Uh, The Crooked Man that they're adapting is a great story. Um, Mm. Supposedly, they're they're adapting. That's the title. 
but it's uh that was a Richard Corbin illustrated one. It's set in like the Appalachian mountains and it's like kind of an old folk, um, old scratch devil himself kind of, uh, throwback story. At least the comics were fantastic. I think it was like a three issue series maybe. Um, okay. so fingers crossed strong foundation. Yeah. Let's, let's hope. Um, I did find a couple other things really fast. I watched, I don't think I talked about it on the show last time I was on Megan, uh, the, Ooh, yeah. the child's play movie. Basically. <laughs> um, I liked it. it. It was a lot of fun. It was cool. I, it's another PG 13, um, kind of fun, spooky, not spooky. What's the word I'm looking for? Kind of creepy in some ways. I don't know. I guess your mileage is going to vary on how creepy you find dolls. Yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like it, it wasn't scary to me, but I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, from kind of the same people who made malignant script wise, producing wise, but then I'm sure you guys mentioned this at some point, uh, directed by Gerald Johnson, who did housebound, an eerie international favorite of ours. Uh, and it's his first movie since that too, which was pretty crazy. Good grief. Um, but yeah, definitely worth a watch. I guess the home release is going to have like an unrated kind of our horror cut. Yeah. Um, that's more violent. So we'll see. We discussed that a few weeks ago when Andy talked about having seen it and we kind of Did you... on air looked into uh, the rumors that there was going to be uh, a director's cut or an, an uncut version. And uh, I'm glad to see that that is happening and it looks as though it that's what I've heard available yeah, on streaming. Yeah. What did, what did you think about it, Andy? I like the Chucky remake better. Uh, I probably did too. <laughs> I found out in the cinema that they um, that they re-edited Megan to be PG thirteen, and I thought uh, that hurt the movie. Um, I, I don't know. The humor didn't really land for me. The gore just wasn't there. It was cut out. There's not a lot. Yeah, it didn't really connect with the characters much, and I'm not willing to pay a second time for the movie to see it uncut. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily disagree with any of that. It, I had a fun time with the movie. I think that was pretty much my expectations were were pretty low for it. One that I did see, I'll mention very, very fast, just because it was seemed like it was talked a lot online. My friend Sean and I went and saw uh, Skinnamarink in a completely empty theater. Um, I don't even think people in Indiana knew it existed or the people at the theater even knew it was playing. I, I have no idea how it got here. But it. Uh, have you guys heard about this movie or seen anything from it? I feel like I watched a video on Netflix of uh not on Netflix uh a video of somebody trawling through Netflix and they had an entire tray full of films that were either Skinnamarink or something similar which is weird I don't know I have nothing I had no no knowledge of this movie other than this okay. video that I've seen so this okay. will be interesting to me What about you Andy I mean, the name has come up on horror Twitter over the past weeks a bunch, and I have not li looked into it except for, is this movie available to me? No, it is not. So I'm no, not looking not. any further for the moment. <laughs> Let me yeah. tell you something, because, and I've, I've mentioned this in the past, and I think the, the, the pandemic really has <clears throat> um, has um, yeah d done some damage to the to, to international releases of independent movies um, because it's, it, especially horror movies, smaller horror movies nowadays tend to come out in Germany way later than in the US, just like they used to, movies in general used to in, in my childhood that it took like half a year uh, between the US release and the German release. So Ty West's movie Pearl comes out June 1st in Germany. When did it come in the US? Last year? 
Yeah, it's been on DVD for a while here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> DVD, whatever, home video. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, and and, and Marink is a weird situation where I think... Um, okay, before I'm critical of it, let me say this. I, I love the look of it. I love the vibe. I love the style. Um, it's basically, I mean, let's see what, what Letterboxd calls it. This is very, very, very... Um, kind um, synopsis of the movie <laughs> two children wake up in the middle of the night to find their father is missing and all the windows and doors in their home have vanished um so those things are true now the movie is very experimental i keep saying very like crazy i need to find some new adjectives um it's it's experimental it has a, a, a specific tone to it and i mean that visually but also from an audio perspective um the, the guy who made it, Kyle Edward Ball, he's got a YouTube channel. I would highly recommend checking out the YouTube channel. Um, he has done a lot of people submit like in the past have submitted nightmares and then he's made sort of like little adaptations of them and mm-hmm. any of those videos. And he has a couple on there that are like um, holiday log type deals, but it's not for holidays. It's like, you know, here's a TV that's playing old sci-fi movies from the fifties in this room. And the sound is is warped and, and altered and mixed in, in a way that it's got a very like great sort of atmospheric background kind of noise, you know, vibe to it. So he took that approach and style, which I, again, cannot compliment enough. I think it's great. I, I love every aspect of, of the presentation and the design and the aesthetic. Um, but it's not a movie. So I think what happened with skin and Rink is at least this has been my perspective. It, kind of caught some some traction on TikTok. There was a lot of people posting like reaction videos or, or clips and saying this is the most scary thing ever and blah, blah, blah. And so they, uh, I think Shudder was going to release it. I think they had the distribution, I'm pretty sure. And they, they opened it up into theaters. Now, people have done this in the past. Like, um, uh, what's that? What's that train movie I love? Snow, Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer, yeah. Snowpiercer, they did that where it was like very small. They opened it and then it, caught traction and became successful and they opened it wider and wider, made a bunch of money, everything, uh, everywhere all at once was that way. Um, RRR, triple R, whatever you call it. I still haven't watched it, uh, was another one too. Uh, this is all from the U S perspective. Obviously I'm not sure about overseas. I think in Skidamarink case, it kind of backfired because once more people saw it, then there was much more of a reaction of people that are not into movies like this, which is like, Hey, nothing happens in this movie. Um, Jake Dion, our, uh, our, our friend and former, uh, guest of the show. He, I loved his review. I'm going to read it really fast. Um, he wrote, I get it. I mean, I think I get it. My first short film was trying to do the same thing. Child lost in a house at night, seeing things in the dark. This movie does it way better than I did. Your brain starts to imagine things and that's great. But my movie was a bit too long and it was about four minutes. This one is an hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's the problem. <laughs> you you get it pretty quickly. There are, are neat moments. But yeah, it was Sean and I sitting in an empty theater for an hour and 40 minutes kind of being like, okay, like, are we going to are we going to take this up or take it down? Like, what are we going to do to mess with, you know, we've very clearly established this this cool, creepy vibe. What are we going to do with it? And ultimately the answer is play it for an hour and 40 minutes more than it is anything else. So I, I gave it a, a heart on letterbox. One of those things where I'm like, I have never seen anything quite like this. I think Kyle Edward ball. I, one of those situations where I'm like, okay, I, I am excited to see 
his career and, and what he does next. Um, but this will be like, you know, the Aronofsky's pie or, you know, one of his, if he goes on to make a bunch of movies, I would imagine this will be the, or uh, Chris Nolan's following the original, more kind of indie cheaper first uh, attempt at it. But again, highly recommend the YouTube channel, a lot of cool stuff on there. And if you really like the vibe of what he's doing on there, um, Skin and Marie will be out on Shutter if that's available to you and and you can give it a look. I showed I was telling Austin about it and he was really interested and um, he was like, well, the thing I'm worried about is like, is there I hadn't finished telling him everything. He's like, is there is there enough there? And I was like, let's watch the trailer. And uh, we watched the trailer and he was like, yeah, that looks cool. And I was like, all right, it's that for an hour and 40 minutes. And he was like, all right, not going to watch it. <laughs> so I think it, it depends on who you are and what you're willing, <laughs> willing to do. Oh, um, the the yeah. trailer was the ideal length for the whole fucking movie. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, very cool. I, I just uh, hopefully it'll be something that as he goes on um, or maybe not. Maybe that's his thing. I have no idea. Maybe he only makes movies like that because that's the kind of thing he wants to do and i think that's great too oh, um yeah just you know gonna be harder to find a wide audience for it but <laughs> that's it for me i think ultimately you just have to make what you want to make and uh, if you can find funding for it then all the better and if not then yeah that's that's, that's yeah and i think this was comes. something i didn't look it up but um I'm pretty sure I'm sure I can find it within a couple seconds here. If I click on Wikipedia, see how much it was. Cause I think it costs almost nothing. 15 grand, $15,000. Oh, well, yeah. You're going to be able so, to raise I think funds he, for that normally. I think he shot it in his childhood home too. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff that, um, you know, he leaned into and in making it that worked out. So mm. anyway, that's it for me. Cool. So let's officially start Silent March and shut the hell up. No. <laughs> Our first movie in Silent March is The Penalty, an American psychological thriller crime film starring... Wait, wait, wait. Andy, Andy, Andy. Sorry, I want you to read that, yeah. but can I can I read my description of the movie first before you read the official one? Okay. Ooh. Go, go ahead. The Penalty is a 1920... Uh, 19, a film from 1920, silent film about the world's worst fucking doctor to ever live on planet earth. <laughs> I have so much to say about this movie. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Never interrupt me again. <laughs> the... <laughs> so, uh, this is what Wikipedia has to say. Uh, a little more neutral than what young, David Hopkins had to say. <laughs> the Penalty is an American psychological thriller crime film starring Lon Chaney and originally released in 1920 by Goldwyn Pictures. The movie was directed by Wallace Worsley and written by Philip Lonergan and Charles Kenyon, based upon the pulp novel by Governor Morris. The supporting cast includes Charles Clary, Doris Pawn, Jim Mason and Claire Adams. It says nothing about the plot in this description. Um, and I'm not going to read you I, all I the, covered the plot, plot for description. You. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's about a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. So um, let me give you some. Uh, let's let's get into the the context stuff first. So we're doing Silent March. Uh, we announced the four movies on social media that we will cover this month. So today it's the penalty. On the next episode, it will be the Phantom Carriage from 1921, Swedish movie. Then. The episode after that, it will be ha 
So however you want to pronounce that, Hexan uh, from 1922, another Swedish movie. And then it's A Page of Madness from 1926, a Japanese movie. David already mentioned you can see the penalty on the Wikipedia page. I watched it on YouTube. You, the good thing is with movies that old, they're all copyright free. You can basically find them anywhere. <laughs> uh, so all these movies are on YouTube. Uh, and probably on archive.org, I'm assuming, maybe on Wikipedia. So th this, it's not hard to find these movies. But with a caveat, David already mentioned, I don't know if it was while we were already recording or if it was before that, um, the score, the music might vary from version to version. Maybe you even find a version without any sound. So the version that I watched... I have no idea uh, if that was the 80s score that David mentioned before or if it was a different score. It definitely wasn't um, <laughs> a, a score from the 1920s. The thing is with movies from that era, so not many movies even survived from the silent movie era. Most of the movies were destroyed. And because they didn't have sound on the actual print, the scores didn't uh, even even less uh, of the scores uh, even fewer of the scores did survive because sheet movie sheet music uh, got lost as well so i have no idea if the original score for this movie survived or not i'm assuming it didn't i didn't read anything about the score about the original score on wikipedia and in the 80s it was released re-released with a with a new score so you can find <laughs> different versions on YouTube. It's very possible that even some just private person puts this movie on YouTube with a score that they did themselves. Absolutely possible. Um, so uh, it's 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 tough to talk about music uh, with these kinds of movies, especially when you're not making sure you all watch the same version of the movie. Similar I, thing for I'm, the colors in the movie. The yeah. <laughs> uh, um, some scenes are reddish, some are bluish, and that might be different in other versions. I watched the link that you sent, Andy, from YouTube. So I'm assuming that's yeah, the one you watched as well. One. I watched a different yeah, one yeah. because I like to be a contrarian. Um, <laughs> but also because when I started listening uh, to the music that accompanied the one that you linked, Andy, it just didn't really feel tonally right to me and oh, so man. i loved it but also you're right yeah so <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i had a look around and i then clicked on a version which was completely silent and i was like uh, i i i ain't fucking with this one and uh, i eventually <laughs> found one um that uh had a, a very generic silent movie sounding score which was put over the top of it and I don't know if it was literally just, you know, silentmovie.mp3 and they just looped it and didn't score it to match the movie. But I did find that it worked pretty well for this film. So the version that I found was posted by a YouTube account called Frame Trek. And it currently has one and a half thousand views. Um, but it's... I, I get the feeling that the, the soundtrack, obviously, and especially in a silent movie, is going to have a huge impact on how you enjoy the film. And maybe it was just subconsciously I was just like, um, I don't know if I'm going to get on with this uh, with this music for, from the first video, but I, I ended up finding this one and uh, 
and getting on fairly all right with it. So we're going to have the, some differences the version that of David opinion, and I, I watched did have a very heavy synthesizer score. And the thing is, yeah. um, I, I clicked on several versions yesterday before deciding which one we would watch. Mm. And I think I found the silent one as well. And then maybe it actually was the one that you watched because I found it to be a little too generic. Yeah, possibly. But I, the thing is, I, I'm i not watching like half an hour of a movie to decide if I like the score. So we we, we watched the one that I initially <laughs> picked. And one of the comments even said, this is the only version that I could find with the original score. So I'm ah. thinking, okay, I'm, I'm watching this. Yeah. And then I thought, whoa, this is... This sounds like generic synthesizer music. <laughs> I'm not sure if that is the the score um, that was on on any of the official releases. But David, do you know more about that? Only through only through the comments. Um, if you expand that comment that you mentioned um, about how mm-hmm. someone says, "Oh, this is the only one I found the original score," they say the other versions have less demonic music and make it less of a horror movie. This is spot on. Um, and Troy Vergona says 1920s original music with synthesizers. Hmm. And then another dude says it's not the original score. It's from the Kino VHS release late eighties, maybe. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, that's okay. as far as I could tell within the comments, I, I searched a little bit more. Yeah. I, I also found a lot of stuff, people mentioning and on Wikipedia and on other websites that there was this shot of uh, Cheney in the movie with legs. So that like yeah. standing yeah. so that the audience would know that he wasn't, didn't really have his legs amputated for the movie. Mm. Um, but every single place I read about that said it was lost. Yeah. Um, I but I'm pretty sure it's in the movie. <laughs> it's definitely in the version I, I saw. And it's obviously yeah, the version you I saw. Yeah, I thought so too. So at again, some point they must have found it. And, and I mean, we're talking about a movie that's over 100 years old. So it's I think on, on Wikipedia it says that they filmed a prologue to the movie where Lon Chaney, as Lon Chaney, like introduces the movie or something standing on his legs and and that portion is lost and then in on wikipedia it mentions that it there is a scene in the movie uh, oh in, in okay these, i had it mixed up like, then like okay. dreamlike sequences mm. uh where you can see lon cheney on his actual legs standing okay i, I mixed it up Fair. so yeah the prologue's not in there but there is that that one shot yeah um i i, I liked the soundtrack on this one I, I went through the same thing you guys did more or less where it was like okay if i'm gonna this is going to have an impact no matter what I pick because it is the other half um, of this process. Even though it's a silent film, you know, does that mean I'm going to go totally silent or music or whatever? Hmm. I, I did like this one. I felt like it worked, but also kind of like um, you were saying, Andy, like I, I didn't want to get too bogged down on like, oh, well, maybe this one will be a better. It's just it's going to be whatever it is that I got to pay attention to the visuals. And that's what I I tried to do. But I, I did like the music in this one. It did feel um a little bit more darker and kind of menacing overall and had like a, it almost reminded me a little bit of um, battle of Menti's twin peaks, the TV uh, stuff, mm-hmm. like a lot of sort of just yeah. like long sustained keys <laughs> and, and stuff like yeah. that. But anyway, yeah. um, in, in my defense, I literally spent about 30 seconds on each version before I was like, okay, plinky plonky piano music that that's <laughs> andy and i assumed you took that's at my least jam. a few days to research yeah. all versions no no I, I i went 30 <laughs> seconds i i i quoted uh batista in my head and said dave don't dance with uh synthesizers and then i <laughs> then i moved on <laughs> i think i think potentially you you guys might be thinking i didn't like the movie but i i surprisingly really liked it uh i'm curious to hear what you guys say i i've got i've got some criticisms obviously but um 
I was shocked at how into it I was. We've done silent movies in the past and um, Caligari obviously was one that really resonated with me, but well, I'm trying to remember Phantom of the Opera was silent, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's that was the one. two that Dave and I remembered. I think those, those okay. are the only ones that we had, had done. Before. Must be then. And that one, if listeners might remember, if I'm remembering correctly, we were not super into <laughs> it. Had, no, uh, we did not like had its Phantom. moments, but it was pretty boring. Yeah. Mm. Um, this one I, I dug 90 minutes is still kind of a, kind of an ask for a silent movie, I think, in, in, in some moments. Um, so there were, I will admit there were a couple of moments uh, where it was just me waiting for title cards to come up, basically, <laughs> to find out what's going on, because it's just two people talking, mm. um, that I, I changed the speed up on the playback on YouTube, which I, I'm sure horrified uh, <laughs> thousands of film scholars across the, they all shifted in their seats. But I, there there was a couple of moments where I was like, okay, let's go, let's go. But I, I quickly turned um, that back to normal speed because stuff does happen at a pretty decent clip um, for the most part. And it has some wild twists and turns, starting with the opening where mm. a child is, I, I think they say he's hit by like a bus or something. It's like a traffic accident. Um, yeah. And he has a contusion on his skull. So the doctor cuts his legs off. That's how the movie <laughs> opens <laughs> that is the opening <laughs> in fact i had to rewind like two minutes to be like what title card did i miss because they don't just yeah. you don't just cut someone's oh. legs off that's what he did cuts his legs off oh god i mean do you know what, another why? doctor shows up and is just like why did you cut his legs off <laughs> immediately <laughs> um what what i do like about the, this film you mentioned about the um the the cards uh, you know like the the dialogue i i like the fact that this film is very sparing actually with the with the dialogue cards and yeah, it, is. it it allows the actors to tell a lot of the story and and deliver a lot of quote unquote dialogue just with the way that they interact with each other in the film um like that there's often times that people will say stuff uh on the film but you won't get a card for it to tell you what they're saying and you don't need it because you know exactly what they're saying already a lot um, of times you can kind of read their lips too to see yeah what they're saying yeah. yeah yeah definitely there were times where we did get uh dialogue cards and then it would go back to the action and you would be able to more easily associate what you just read with how their lips were moving because you'd kind of get the 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 end of of what they were saying um but it is i agree it's a complete leap even if you're a novice doctor (laughs) i mean his legs weren't i guess mangled or or damaged at all it was literally just like well you know he's he's got a bump on his head so i guess his legs have got to come off (laughs) it's 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 just such a weird like i don't know maybe back in the 20 maybe back in 1920 um, I don't think medicine was that far back to where we just cut people's legs off on a mm. whim. Um, but I like, cause you could see it being a thing where it's like, he's got damage to his spine. I'm going to do the best I can. I got to make this hard call, you know, and then this hard call ended up being the wrong call mm. and it sets up blizzard. I mean, that's kind of the plot in some ways. Well, not really, but monster or monster has like a, a doctor patient relationship based off of um, what happened in the operating room. And or in the hospital room. And this could have had that very easily, but you you don't get any. I mean, I'm sitting there. I'm not a biology, science, math person at all. I'm I'm all, you know, history, language, you know, reading, all that kind of stuff. But I'm sitting there with my limited knowledge of science and even being like, 
I can't think of a connection why you would cut someone's legs off because they hit their, like yeah. there's, there's nothing, no dots I could connect to where it would make sense. Mm-hmm. And they don't tell you. And then uh, a pretty astonishing thing about the movie is that they kind of do another, that level twist at the very end. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it is crazy. Um, the, the wackiness of the plot uh, of those moments aside, um, I found Lon Chaney to be, fantastic i really liked him this um i thought that i mean he's he's got such a unique awesome face and look to him um i mean this is a guy who in the plot of the movie poses excitedly poses for a bust of satan because he thinks he looks (laughs) like satan um and then there's obviously the added sort of gimmick of of him not having legs which back then they accomplished by he taped his legs back essentially um, into a position that was extremely painful. He could only do it for, you know, five minutes at a time. Um, and was basically had his, his knees in these buckets and <laughs> walked around on Crazy. his knees. And it's, it's something that would never fly now, obviously, but back then, well, it, even it's then, also one of those things. Yeah. Like the studio said actually Wikipedia. said, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the, the studio said to him, to do we, it. We, we really don't want you to do this. And he was like, bitch, please, I'm doing this. Uh, <laughs> You I know, remember Tom I Cruise mentioned isn't brave on... enough for this. That's true. <laughs> He's actually Tom Cruise has got just the right length legs that he could do this and not have to <laughs> sure, yeah. bend them back. They could just put buckets on his feet. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's also like that was kind I mean, I, I don't know a ton about Lon Chaney. I read that graphic novel um, that I talked about on the show a couple years back and mm. I liked it. But even that graphic novel admitted, you know, there's a lot of gaps that were being filled in as best they could because there's not, you know, a wealth of information necessarily. Um, but it kind of does seem like based off of what uh, we've read that this was one of the first sort of moves of Cheney where it was the beginning of him being known for these things in a yeah. big way, which um, obviously did Hunchback and, and Phantom of the Opera and being known as this guy who is willing to do anything to his body to um, kind of live and breathe in these characters and I, I think it works in this movie. Like he, it, it's weird. It's, it's very sort it's got a strange tone. The entire thing, even down to like the names, his name's blizzard. Like he has no, it's, I think it's supposed to be his last name, but they they don't say um, a first name ever. And the entire, like the Satan aspect of it, um, him wanting to capture or to get this doctor, um, get revenge on this doctor so he can take his legs, which right away when he said that, I was like, I don't think you can do that even now. <laughs> like, mm. I don't think that's, how, I don't think you could just steal someone's legs and use well, them. Well, they, they're, um, they're a little bit, they're a little bit lazy with that. They make one reference. They change like, it. They, we can do it with monkeys, so we can do it with me now. And it's like, yeah. well. And then they also yeah. change it to where when it actually comes time to happen, it's um, not the doctor's legs, it's the other guy's legs. Then there's like, kind of love triangles there's i mean he falls in love with the guy's daughter uh it's it's crazy but i i don't know i i just dug the entire vibe of it it, it does have a horry feeling to it for some reason i mean it, it's a crime movie i think it's a crime thing but the sets i mean even his like secret bookshelf um secret fireplace oh. hidden thing where he has these chains that he like <laughs> Like monkeys is way down. Even when that part happened, uh, when the doctor was in there with him, I was like, dude, he's hanging on those two chains. You walk over there and give him one good kick. 
Like no. he's he, he's he's fallen down. The, he's done. There's no <laughs> one in there. So you, you've got to suspend your disbelief uh, in a lot of ways. But anyway, I'll shut up. I, I was into it. I, I I really dug the entire kind of atmosphere and the story. Um, the leg the leg twists, both at the beginning and the end, are a little insane. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was a cool movie. You know, Lon Chaney's physicality in this film is just ridiculous. Like not only the way that he's able to just morph his body uh and and turn himself into someone that has had their legs removed but also like there's a, a scene where he goes to check on the girls in the uh in the hat making room and rather than just go out the door he literally clambers up the side of the wall and just peers through the window yeah. and i'm just like this guy is literally doing pull-ups like and i i know that um you know, calisthenics uh, have been a thing for a long time, and obviously, like you know, there's always been strong men and things like that. But like, th- this is like a leading actor who is literally just bodying his way up the side of a wall using wooden pegs that are drilled into it. Like, I absolutely insane. Um, yeah, and huge just over body strength on the dude. <laughs> absolutely, and then like you mentioned, the way he's able to contort his face, not even using prosthetics. There, it's just him just using the muscles in his face. And the way that he's able to look like the most evil man in the world, but also at times to look very innocent. And at times um, he has this uh, expression on his face that almost makes you feel sorry for him. Just absolutely ridiculous. Every time he's on screen, I just have to just sit there and just stare like I'm captivated by his performance. And I can't say that about many other people in this film, but his performance and his henchman, the one that looks like he must have had his make makeup in black and white films especially in the early days was was pretty extreme like you know if if we were able to take a color photo of them they'd look horrendous they'd they'd have like completely powdered faces and stuff like that but this (laughs) are you talking about the dude at the beginning yeah he's like uh, a assassin yeah 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 like that dude just looks nasty like you can tell that he's got really bad teeth and he's probably got very pale yellowed skin and he just he he looks really really nasty i i love that look but the rest of them are just like normal older guy with mustache younger normal guy with mustache here's a woman here's another woman i can't tell the difference because they both have the same haircut and the same hair color um you know like i i could not tell you the difference between rose and the doctor's daughter if my life depended on it at times in this film well, and there's also, um, there's also, isn't the woman at the beginning, Barbara, That's... the one that she's like, they set her up, but then she gets killed like right away. So she's not even, she's oh, like yeah. second build, she's isn't she? Well, she, she's, she's identifiable because she has a mole on her face and that's the only reason that I can tell her apart <laughs> okay. from every other woman in this film. Um, <laughs> I, I, I remember hearing a while ago that the, the aesthetic of what was beautiful changed in Hollywood at some point, and at one point, blonde hair was not the be-all, end-all. And I, I don't find that hard to believe, especially given that every leading woman in this movie has got brunette hair um, mm. or, or black hair, you know? Like, maybe it's just because they stand out on screen better when it's black and white. I really couldn't tell. Like, I'm sure there's experts out there that could go into the entire history of, of what made a leading lady in, in Hollywood through the decades. But um, it's very clear that they had a type at this time and it was for dark hair and, um, again, an awful lot of makeup. 
Like, you can tell. It's very like, possible. That's a, it's an interesting question. It's very mm. possible that it, it, it makes better contrast on a black and white image. Yeah. Um, if the if the hair isn't too blonde uh, and mm. too, so yeah, I I'm, I've never thought about that. I I, I would assume that there, sense, there could maybe. be something to it. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I like I like this film as well. I really do. The the only thing I'm not massively fond of is once again the end of the film is like okay everything's resolved let's have 15 seconds of everyone being happy and then we'll just say the end and that's it and i'm just like dear god i can see where dracula got it from you know um they just cannot help themselves but and and i get it it's like someone will be like well what did you expect them to do at the end of the film but it's literally just like well he's shot and died and then um here's the statue that i was making of him and this is all we have left the end and uh, it's something but it's still kind of like I, I what i at least appreciate is the fact that there is a feeling of natural justice at the end of the film where they kind of have this cop out spoilers for the ending of the film but you know why are you listening to a review for a film that you haven't seen yet people um where uh, they're like, oh well, it was the, it was the contusion on the back of his head that was causing him to be evil all along. It wasn't anything to do with the loss of his legs. Well, I'm sure it fucking helped, but still, <laughs> like they reckon that it's the contusion on the back of the head. So let's just assume that it was, and that he was somehow um, evil because he had a, a knock on the head. That's fine. First of all, you're expecting me to believe that they can uh, perform complex brain surgery in the 1920s that isn't just a lobotomy. Um, and second of all, you're now going to expect me to believe that the authorities would just take it as granted that, oh, well, he wasn't responsible for his own actions. So we're just going to let him off with a warning and a slap wrist, uh, you know, despite the fact that he had people killed and he runs drugs and uh, God knows what else. Um, <laughs> but then we get well, that. Go on. Sorry. No, I was just going to say there's so many layers to what happens there that. I, I'm not a film historian, obviously, by any means, so I, I don't know that I can say this with any kind of, you know, confidence. But at least with my experience, that the kind of storytelling that we would look at a lot of these things now wasn't really a thing back then. At least it didn't seem like it in film. Mm-hmm. So, like the the idea of, and I'm not uh, arguing with you. I'm I'm agreeing. Yeah. It's it's just a strange sort of thing because you've got like okay you've got this doctor who makes this horrific mistake at the beginning and has no consequences for it which is built into the plot right Mm. the older doctor um protects him lies says that that was the only way blah 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 so then later in the movie um you have this like sort of crazy plan that he has but when the doctor goes down to do the procedure he then I, I, yeah, I guess like lobotomy. I mean, it changes who he is. So mm. there's another, there's definitely another invasion <laughs> of just messing with this guy, um, <laughs> which then also has no repercussions. Like the doctor is, is the hero mm. and, and, and they don't really focus on that, but presumably. And then, it, yeah, you're, you're then like, cause that, all of that stuff could be interesting in and of itself. Like the fact that the, these people have these dark secrets and they've done these terrible things and, the the problem is that the movie explains all of them like you said and then does this thing of like it makes it a morality tale where it's like well now i have to now that i'm this great guy i have to undo all the damage i did and i have to do this and that and you're just kind of like what like this i i didn't expect it to have that sort of ending whatsoever because the rest of the movie is so dark and the rest of the movie has this kind of tone where i was like okay i mean i didn't expect blizzard to win but i also didn't expect 
him to be this like tragic romantic hero <laughs> at the end uh, either. So I, I don't know if that was, it made me interested in wondering what the, the book is like or the, the whatever it was short story. I'm not, I don't remember now. Hmm. Um, and, and if there were, were differences there because it, I don't know. It, it feels like one of those things that wasn't in the source material. It feels like something that was changed, but I have no idea. Yeah. Maybe back then people were like, this is a great story. And I absolutely buy all of it. And a hundred years later, we're like, you can't cut off someone's legs because they bumped their head. Like that's, <laughs> that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. I mean, it's a pulp novel. It's a pulp story. Um, uh, yeah. Maybe you need to consider that people, I don't know. Uh, maybe people were more accepting of strange yeah. things like maybe you have to look at it as some kind of a science fiction aspect to it when it comes to all the the surgical procedures and mm -hmm. and and the stuff of that and so it's 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 i think it's very possible that the the novel and the adaptation are just composed of this is stuff that people like in stories there's drama there's uh, romance, so there's there's some, something off. for everyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> true. Could be like I, I just I, I like the fact that he gets his comeuppance at the end. Like regardless of of uh, whether he was mentally responsible for what he did because of this contusion that he had in his head, like he ends up suffering some kind of justice. And even though it's by the hands of his own criminal organization, it it still feels better than an ending where. He gets the girl, he gets to live this wonderful life where he becomes a really important person. And, you know, I, I have to say, though, people just don't get shot the way that they did back in the 20s. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like more people need to be shot in that way. Like, the, the way he reacts when the gun goes off, it's just one of the most strange... The classic I, grab your chest. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> it's just like... It's like, you know, strike a pose. <laughs> it's almost balletic the way that he I like how he I like down. how he, he, he drags it out too. Like she comes in and he's still sitting. He's yeah, just he's, like waiting sit, for her he sits to come back in there. up. Well, I'm not gonna die until I get to tell you why I'm happy to go. And it's like he, he gives this big thing about, Oh, I'm quite interested in death. Let's see what happens. I I don't know. Like, did he have to say he was all right with it? Not really. But there we are. <laughs> there's not, yeah, there's not a lot of, of really no time for the most part built making him be anything other than a villain. I mean, you feel bad for him at times, but it's, it's not from a perspective of, at least it wasn't for me of like, well, no, he's just had like, we can rehabilitate him. It, it was never that in my head. It was just mm. like, I don't know, he's a, a, an evil dude. He's been wronged. Yeah. Absolutely. But we've seen him do all of these, you know, horrific things and, um, the, that was another thing all the all the sexism in the movie which obviously at the time was different mm. it's interesting watching it now but how he treats everyone around him you know who he is like yeah he's got pain inside but the movie before that doesn't really offer him up as a character that can be saved at least it didn't for me he's the villain oh good um, god you so that ending is a is a 180 <laughs> talking talking about sexism in the movie that line about true women should want children and a husband and <laughs> it's a good Oh, Jesus yeah, they literally they introduce the doctor's character by being like, she's got this hysterical idea of wanting to do art. <laughs> like <laughs> it's just like this this insane needs to be institutionalized woman thinks that she can do sculptures instead of stay at home. Insane. Uh, which doesn't hold up. <laughs> 
what, what did you think, Andy, overall of the movie? Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was very interesting. It had an interesting structure. Lon Chaney definitely is the star of the movie. Um, just his his facial expressions. I believe he did some makeup on his face um, because in the end, when he is his new self, I thought he looks pretty different <laughs> from um, from the, did, the rest yeah, of the he did movie. Look yeah, and. The I, th- I thought the the women the female characters were pretty interesting, especially the the undercover cop um, when when yeah, she she's an agent was yeah. introduced. I thought this is interesting. She she's like like the the tough police lady that they send out for a special ops undercover uh, operations thing, and, and of course they, they needed a, a woman because she's working in this hat factory where only women work <laughs> but still she, she and her i don't know her whatever his position was um the the police president uh, sitting there in the in, in in his office smoking and talking about the operation i thought it was very interesting and how that scene was intercut with um with blizzard and what he's doing and and uh, so the the, yeah. the structure found, in that I segment i thought was very interesting and, and mm. it felt very modern yeah, um, for for a movie of the time and similar to that all these like imagined sequences when blizzard is telling his plan of the the operation when he wants to flood san francisco with, with all foreigners. With, with the reds so that he can <laughs> yeah. loot the city and and you get while he's talking the, the movie shows you all these scenes of, of people um running through the city with the the straw hats and and shooting and looting and stuff and that is something that i didn't expect i i, I haven't seen uh, i don't know every silent movie but the ones that i have seen weren't structured like this one and this my 1920 is still fairly early um so i think the 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 most classics or the most silent movies that we consider classics now come after 1920 Mm. i believe so those were things that i noticed and i found interesting and the the way that um, Rose falls for Blizzard. She she she's the she, she she's the undercover cop trying to find evidence against him. But and then she does find evidence against him. But immediately melts in his arms. She, yeah, she 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 falls him. So so she sees something in him, and Barbara does as well. Um, she does the sculpture of him as Satan, but still, and and she knows who he is. I mm. think. Um, but still, she sees something in him where she says, "Well, this guy isn't isn't all bad." <laughs> uh, although we, as viewers, think, "Well, this, this guy is definitely all bad." I don't know I, what I, you're seeing. I in find, him. I find, but I think that is that is that, that that's leading us into the to the the conclusion yeah, of the true. movie. Um, that uh, so it was just this thing in his head that he had pressure on the brain so it wasn't all his fault that he was that evil but he is a brilliant man and now if he uses that that brilliant mind of his to do good that he can be a great citizen of the city and and we can work with him and that's wonderful and that's the, like the happy end but still there is the penalty uh that he gets killed in the end yeah Say the title of the movie. The dude, the thing. Hey. The, uh, I, you mentioned a, a modern feeling, um, the cutting back and forth. I don't know if this other shot was, maybe this was common back then. And my, 
you know, having only seen a handful of silent movies, it's just um, is my own ignorance. But I really liked the cut where uh, he jumps onto the pole upstairs and then slides mm. down and they cut to below. Yeah. Like it's a, mm-hmm. it's a pretty seamless edit of him going from one floor to the next and interacting with new people. And yeah. um, it follows him in that way, which I, I, when, I don't know, maybe it wasn't, but when I saw it, I remember being like, Oh wow, that's not mm. usually the camera's very static. And also he um, landed right on those knees, which must've been absolute murder. I oh, thought, man, why people put cushions down down uh, on these poles? So uh, something that <laughs> they didn't think it. of in 1920 yet. Uh, yeah, yeah, they didn't invent cushions didn't until the Namby Pamby era of the 1930s and 40s. <laughs> oh dear! So I thought um, because of course Lon Chaney is a is a famous name in the horror genre in the silent movie era. We talked about him when we did the Phantom of the Opera episode, of course. And I had never heard of the penalty until I researched movies to do on this um, on this show for this month. Um, I had this idea of doing a month of silent movies, so I just researched horror, silent horror movies. And the penalty was one that came up, and apparently it is one of Lon Chaney's earlier roles, and he is more famous for later ones. David already mentioned some of them. But I, I can absolutely see how this was like a, a, a breakout role for him and how the totally his physicality in his acting and then, of course, the things that he did to his body added to his physical acting, how that made people notice him and put him in in these other roles as the, the guy of a thousand faces and and he is the one that can portray all these monsters and he did all the makeup himself and as we already mentioned he didn't really stop anywhere to do uh, what he thought he needed to do to portray these characters in a certain way and when when we saw when when Bianca and I watched the movie and she asked me how how did they do that with his legs and I said I haven't done any research yet but I think he just taped them uh, to the to the back of his legs I think he's just walking on his knees I don't think that he was able to do it any other way they didn't have the special effects to do it any other way I think he just <laughs> is hobbling yep. along on his knees and I, yeah I think that must have been very painful. The thing is, there, there's a couple of shots in the movie, specifically when the character is first introduced on the street, where the camera watches him as he uh, hobbles along from the pavement onto the, the street, and the camera is completely sideways onto him. And I do not see a single indication of his feet sticking out the back of the... Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's got to be flat. I can only imagine just how much binding there was, and his ankles must have been spun around ninety degrees as well, and that must have been absolute bloody murder. And we've mentioned even even though it's probably only fairly briefly in previous uh, episodes, I know we've mentioned Lon Chaney before, um, and maybe I'm remembering uh, horror documentaries where they spoke about his. special effects work or makeup work i should say but like the guy was an absolute madman where it came to the things he did to get a certain look for a movie 
and he would not think twice about causing himself in intense pain if it meant that he could get a certain look going on 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 film and this really just highlights that because like there are times when i'm kneeling on the floor and i mean i i i have cyclists thighs and calves so i can't bend my knees past a certain point certainly nowhere near enough to be able to do what he did in this film but even if i didn't like that just seems insane that he's able to pretty much get his legs folded back 180 degrees on themselves and turn his ankles so that his feet don't protrude out the back of his coat. They're very clever with the costume design that the coat is one of those big kind of billowy overcoat things. Yeah. Um, it's long enough and billowy enough that it can cover any um, of the um, evidence that he does in fact have his own legs. But genuinely, the first shot you see of him in the movie, you'd, you'd be forgiven if you knew nothing about Lon Chaney. You'd, you'd be forgiven for f- thinking that they just found an actor who didn't have legs uh, for the part because it's so convincing. I, I was more, I was definitely way more into the performance here than the one in Phantom of the Opera. I mean, he looks cool in Phantom of the Opera. The makeup's, you know, iconic. Mm. Um, but there's a, I, I think also having him have so much screen time in this, like he's actually able to be on camera quite a bit. And have a character and, and emote and interact mm-hmm. with other characters around him. And um, even though the the prosthetic angle is, you know, less extravagant than Phantom of the Opera, it's it's way more interesting of a performance and of a um, of a character and of an approach mm-hmm. to me. And I'm honestly surprised. I, I figured, you know, a lot of times when I look up older classic horror movies or, or noir movies or whatever, I've got a good amount of people that I follow on Letterboxd that have, have logged it. And mm-hmm. no one has logged this movie that I follow. So, and I've never heard about Same it until you guys brought it up. Yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty underseen, is my guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I highly recommend people check it out because um, it's a, uh, I don't know. I, I often wonder if I'm able to get more and more into silent movies because I'm getting older, if I'm watching them. Like, I don't know what it is, hmm. but this was one where for me, you know, kind of going into it being like, all right, I get to get myself in the right headspace, you know didn't have to really do that. I mean, I, I was pulled into it from the jump and I was interested and excited to see where the story was going. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, if you haven't watched it and you listen to the entire episode, you kind of know that now, but it's still absolutely worth watching the sets and the, the performances, all that stuff is, it's pretty mm-hmm. cool. I, I can tell you what it is for me with silent movies, especially recently. Um, and I, I've talked about that on, Yuri, I don't know, for, for the past couple of years that I'm just more and more interested in visual storytelling than I used to be. So mm-hmm. I care less and less about story and plot and dialogue and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and silent movies, of course, they were limited in at least for for the like the the earlier part of the silent movie era limited in in like camera movement and and things like that so that that is something that modern movies have more freedom with if they use it but um not having sound made them uh, or they had to rely on visual storytelling a lot more um and because i think it's Similar to comic books, it's very uninteresting if a comic book, which is kind of like a silent movie, is just loaded with 
dialogue and text. Mm. Uh, yeah. So similar You're to that, out the other I part think of silent movie is way more interesting if it is able to use <laughs> less title cards <laughs> than, than just fill, fill, fill the story with title cards. It's more interesting if they are able to tell the story just with the visuals. Uh, speaking about title cards, something I wanted to mention, title cards are similarly to... Uh, to the score, you can never quite be sure if those are original title cards from back in the day or if those are restored, especially different languages. They have different yeah. title cards. The text may even differ. What I found very interesting with this one, that whenever they introduced a character, they named the character and the actor on the title yes, card, which is something that I have never before. seen. Yeah. Which yeah. makes me wonder if that is something that they did in 1920 or if that is something that in a restored version from, from later on. I have no idea. I have never seen something like that. The, the title cards were also written. There was a, there was a flair to some of them, I noticed, um, as opposed to just like only dialogue or <clears throat> I think in some of the other ones I've seen, it's usually like night falls and blizzard makes his way to the bar you know it's, mm. it's stuff like that it's and and this one ha felt much more written felt like it you know it was using adjectives and using descriptions and stuff that they didn't need to um but it worked for me i mean it set more of the tone uh even more so um yeah i i, I think you're absolutely right Andy. i think the visual storytelling stuff i mean the this is animation what i'm the example i'm about to bring up so it's totally different but i think stuff like um primal the Gendy Genny Tartatovsky, I don't know how you say his last name, but the, the HBO, I think it was originally on Cartoon Network. It's on HBO now, but it's that animated show about the, the caveman dude and a mm -hmm. dinosaur. Have you guys watched this? I, I've listened to an interview that he gave, uh, on a podcast where they talked about it, but I've not actually seen it as yet. And I've seen no, only images. No, I, I know what you're talking about, but okay. I have never seen the show. I, so. No, uh, no dialogue, at least in the episodes I've seen. And it's all mm. visual stuff. And um, yeah, it's, I mean, similar approach. You've got to be able to to tell that story. I, I always think, too, when when we look at these things about the whole idea of um, and this comes from growing up when I grew up and reading what I read, but the whole rebel without a crew, Robert Rodriguez sort of mentality of when you place limitations, when you have these limitations, don't view them as that view them as as opportunities to make creative solutions and to use what you have, work with what you have. Um, obviously this was, you know, studio movie. That's not going to be the same aspect in terms of price, but, or of cost. But like you said, they've got to figure out ways to get around certain things with, with no sound. Um, and yeah, I, I, I wanted to look up more films by this uh, director as well. Cause I know at least based off what I saw, he did a few more, maybe the four or five movies total with, um, with Lon Chaney. And uh, I was looking at some of his filmography and yeah, Wallace Worsley, that was his name. And so many of them are just like completely, you know, either unknown or lost or whatever else. And um, yeah, it was interesting that he also had apparently a relationship with Todd Browning who made um, Dracula. So hmm. um, I was I, into it. I wanted to circle back to something that you mentioned, David, about the um, like the makeup in um phantom of the opera versus this and how although the makeup may have been more um complex that th this kind of lot was w more more effective perhaps um I, I i think that this may be and having having only watched two of uh, lon cheney's movies I, I can say this safely this might be the most um dramatic um transformation that 
he ever undertook as an actor just because of the way that it changes his profile like he literally has no legs in this movie you know (laughs) and like no amount of makeup on your face will be able to give the same shock value as watching a film and watching a guy that has had his legs cut off above his knee walk out in the middle of the road in an era where special effects were in camera and there was absolutely no way of fooling people they found a way of fooling people to the point like we mentioned earlier that they had to film an introduction with Lon Chaney standing there with his legs say you know <laughs> yeah. basically showing that he had his legs and don't worry no actors were harmed in the making of this movie it's just kind of like it's it's mad to me like he never had to make a um, a disclaimer at the beginning of Phantom saying don't worry I didn't get acid spilt on my face I'm perfectly normal <laughs> Um, and I don't doubt that the Phantom makeup was painful and did take a long time to apply and it was revolutionary. But to me, it's just a mask of goop at the end of the day, as painful and as well constructed as it is. It's just a mask. And- I mean, it, and it's also that's also kind of just the character. I mean, I, I, and yeah. I'm not. I'm not shitting on Phantom of the Opera. I'm a fan. No, no, no. I, I, all those adaptations. Yeah, I, I didn't want but to come across that way either. No, no, yeah, you're not. But I mean, I think a big part of it is just having a character to play and having someone that you can really get into. And I'm mm. sure he felt that way with with the Phantom as well. And I'm sure putting on all that makeup and and having you know all of that control over scene feels like you're mm. in the character's shoes. But ultimately, the characters we care about in Phantom of the Opera, typically, I don't think are the Phantom. Mm. Um, other than you know, you feel bad for him. It's tragic. Yeah. The characters that you follow are the other people, and in this one we're rarely away from blizzard i mean he's on screen most of the time he gets most of the camera time but also you're able to see him emoting like because he's not obscured by face makeup and i'm not trying to turn this into a you know a pro or anti face makeup uh uh, you know rant because i I i'm really not um but i I just think that i don't i'm not sure that i will ever see a more practical if dramatic practical effect as that even knowing how it was done the sheer fact that he was physically capable of doing it and performing the way he did is is just absolutely nuts. It really is, yeah, you know. Great. Like you, he could apply that makeup to anyone with a decent pain tolerance level for Phantom or anything like that, and they would all look the same. But I mean, he had permanent damage to his legs. I think, <laughs> like there were, it wouldn't surprise there, me. Yeah, there was stuff that he had the rest of his life because of. Because yeah. of this, to me, this watching this movie shifted Lon Chaney to me to being like, okay, this is the Lon Chaney movie. Unless I see another one that I like more, this is the one I, I'm I will bring up if, the, I, if Lon Chaney's so in too. conversation. Yeah, yeah, like this this had enough here that I was like, okay, there's this movie mm. where Lon Chaney tapes his legs back and is a crime lord named Blizzard who walks yep. around on buckets on his feet, um, <laughs> and that's after he got his legs cut off accidentally as a child. <laughs> like but it's not just you. You have now gotten the first three minutes of the movie set up, yeah. and you can just write it from there. But it's not just the <laughs> madness of the plot that would make you like I, I I could not talk about the plot at all, and I could just say to date and again i've only knowingly watched two performances from long chain unless i'm forgetting one um the, the this is probably his best dramatic performance it's the performance that allows him to give the most emotion on the screen it's also the greatest physical transformation of his career 
it's also just hands down the most physical that he is on screen with all that clambering around and you know up up and down chains and up the side of a wall and all that kind of stuff it it's just absolutely mental just how much his singular singular performance shifts this movie from being just kind of a bit crazy to being just holy shit like this is a really really good film and quite possibly like i i i it's annoying to me that i've not heard of this movie before because it genuinely like i understand why he was such a big deal after this film like why he went on to be uh, as big a name in horror uh, as as he became and and in film in general because you know this is the star making performance on every level in terms of his makeup uh, usage and and ability to change character uh, and and morph into a completely different being um his actual acting ability notwithstanding the fact that when we got to talkies he didn't really seem to I don't know. You, you just—he's he, one of the silent era stars, isn't he? He's not really regarded as one of the the, the stars of of cinema uh, after that point. So that's kind of a shame. But Jesus Christ, like if if he had a decent voice on him, which I'm assuming he must have done, just how how did this guy not turn into like the fucking Clark Gable of of Hollywood in, in the <laughs> earlier years? Because he he could he could act the fucking pants off of anyone that he was if, set opposite and if he didn't have the voice i'm sure he'd drink some poison or something to change his voice i mean that's the 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 dedication well i mean um, flash gordon proved to us that you don't have to be able to deliver the lines to appear in a movie so that's true. You know, they could have just overdubbed <laughs> him but like i just i mean he died in 1930 um oh, okay. so just so right at the, on the beginning on the cusp of the talkie era yeah and i mean that so he didn't really have much of a chance to be a, yeah. a talking star death is tragic anyway but especially when it cuts a career short of somebody well, that and, had so much promise and in a pretty cruel twist of irony too he he passed out they took him to the doctor and then the attending physician there cut his head off thinking that that would be the way to save him <laughs> So life imitated art, he, and that was the end of Juan He sprained his ankle, and they cut his head off. I didn't even think about a double feature pick, which isn't surprising, I'm sure, because I never do. But um, did, did you guys, or I guess before I move us there, we moved there. Did you guys have any other big thoughts on the movie? Not no. really, no. Yeah, I, I think people should watch it, absolutely. It sounds like you guys agree. Oh, um, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally totally worth a watch uh andy did you pick a double feature i did and um so the whole time watching this movie i thought to myself this is a batman villain <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, <his name laughs> of course <laughs> yeah i mean he's he's tragically um disabled not not by anything he did himself People cut his legs off after an incident, uh, and then he becomes this criminal mastermind trying to rob the city. And to rob the city, he does this whole other um, thing where he gets people to, to dress up in a certain way to to run around and and, and wreak oh, havoc God, in the city. So genius. he then can go and I don't know rob banks or whatever. He's yeah. comparing himself to Satan. He has this underground lair and everything. He has this tragic <laughs> romance. Holy shit, um, so this he, is great. 
And of course, I mean, Batman was created in the in the mid '30s. These are the stories that influenced the point. creators of the early comic books. I mean, the the Joker was created visually after a silent movie uh, character from the Man Who Laughs with a Conrad Veidt character. Yeah. So, the, the, these are the stories where the early pulp comic books come from. Um, and so, yeah, I picked Matt Reeves, the Batman, <laughs> as my double feature. <laughs> That's a great pick. <laughs> uh, a movie that I rewatched not too long ago and loved even more. I really like that movie. Uh, cool. Dave, what do you got? I mean, I didn't have one. And then Andy just completely... I, I thought he was going with a different movie, so I'm going to steal it. Um, Batman Returns is a movie where the villain is uh, physically mm -hmm. not normal and cast away as a result, ends up living underground, uh, <laughs> ends up raising an army with little cute hats that are going to uh, <laughs> completely terrorize the city. Um, talks about how he's going to ride this city like a whore from hell or something similar. I can't quite remember the quote right now. Um, it's Batman Returns, right? Like, it, this is this is the movie. Um, also... I, I don't remember seeing um, a children's entertainer in this movie, but there's definitely one in the opening uh, of, of Batman Returns. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to basically um, piggyback onto Andy's brilliant setup. And uh, funnily enough, uh, I did mention uh, The Man Who Laughs being the, uh, the one of the visual... Um, um, inspirations for the Joker to somebody that was round here not very long ago and I did recommend that they watch The Penalty um, so nice. yeah so it's already begun I've already it's not a case of I would recommend it's I have recommended um, so yeah I'm, I'm going to go for Batman Returns thank you for the inspiration Andy because I was really struggling <laughs> sure. um, but it was too perfect and, and, and when you started talking about you know un underground layers and stuff I was just like oh the mad genius he's going to go for Batman Returns how can I beat this and then you just went for Batman and I'm like well there you go <laughs> it's a perfect layup <laughs> alley-oop <laughs> so David, David which Batman are you picking <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with uh, Adam West Batman um just the uh, oh, yeah. the the dark humor of when in the show that go go dancer falls the into title the reactor. Batman says, "What a way to go go!" I mean, it's a perfect match. Um, I I went with <laughs> I went with um, uh, it's not a cop out, but for me, my first gut reaction with stuff like this when I entered into a a subsection of film or music or whatever to where I don't recognize anything. I don't have a lot of frame of reference. I, I don't have a lot of the contextual history or whatever else. Um, I'm going to go for something that gives me that. So I've already mentioned it a couple times. Lon Chaney Speaks uh, by Pat Dorian. Uh, is a graphic novel that Pantheon put out that I, I really liked. Again, there's there's gaps in it, um, but you know he lists all of his stuff and where he pulled information from. And it was pretty interesting. I'm, I'm anxious to reread it again now. I think I read it after we had watched Phantom, but I don't remember. Um, I'm going to guess there's stuff in there about the penalty. Uh, and I just didn't know about it at the time because they, they show he draws a lot of movie posters and, and like lobby cards and stuff from the era for a lot of those different movies. Um, it's in a box somewhere in my garage, so I'll have to find it. But uh, yeah, it was good. I, I enjoyed it at the time. I would imagine I'll enjoy it even more now that we've uh, gotten some 
some Lon Chaney um, experience on the show. So Lon Chaney Speaks by Pat Dorian. Good book. It's a comic. Did I say so that? Sometime it's in the comic. future, we'll do a Lon Chaney month. Just watch all, all movies, the Wallace yeah. Worsley and Todd Browning <laughs> movies. All his 162 <laughs> IMDb credits as an actor. That's insane. <laughs> hell. Crazy. Holy shit. I guess they could make more movies when they didn't have to get dialogue in. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's insane. Holy shit. What are we, uh, what are we doing next week, Andy? Next week, it's The Phantom Carriage from 1921 from Sweden if I'm not completely mistaken I would be I would be lying if I didn't say that there was a maybe like two percent of me when you guys mentioned what movies we were doing I was like oh shit two of those are on Criterion and I don't have them so I can buy the Criterion <laughs> versions now and be justified <laughs> Phantom Carriage is one of those I've seen the cover of it so many times going through Criterion Blu-rays uh, like at the bookstores and stuff and have never never picked it up so i've got it ready to go that and and Haxon. so so listeners you can go to criterion or youtube yes (laughs) however you want to see these movies yeah (laughs) i'd probably recommend youtube (laughs) one 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 of these is not like the other (laughs) yeah criterion's not running one of their two sales a year so youtube might be a better bet So, wonderful. I think we're off to a good start for Silent March. Um, Hopefully, people did enjoy this. There's more to come. If you're not enjoying silent movies, see you in April. So, thanks all for participating. Thanks thanks to David for being back with us. Hopefully, next week again. We'll see. Um, So, watch silent movies, listen to audio plays, and uh, yeah, see you next time. Bye. This has been a production of FanOff.com. And that's perfect.